Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with a prayer for preservation as we pick up in Psalm chapter 16, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. So let's turn now to Psalm 16. The 16th Psalm is called a Mitchtum of David. A Mitchtum is actually a meditation or a prayer. And there are about five or six Psalms that are designated uh, as Mitchtums, the 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, with the 16th. David's prayer unto the Lord is, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. The prayer for preservation. Now David, well, I guess all through his life, he had those that were out after him. Sometimes without cause, Saul sought to destroy David. Later, Absalom, his own son, rebelled against him. David was a popular king, but it seems that you have, you know, a person has a capacity of gaining friends, but there are some of people who just become your enemy because you have so many friends. And uh, there was a lot of jealousy. David was a very uh, handsome young man. He was a very athletic person. He was a very dynamic person. And so it did inspire jealousy. And so David was constantly, it seems, being harassed by those that were jealous of him, seeking to get rid of him. And so the prayer, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord. Actually, again, if we read it it more literally to the Hebrew, thou hast said unto Jehovah, thou art my Lord. The two different lords again. The first one, the name of God. The second one, the title by which it expresses my relationship to him. Thou art my Lord, my Adonai, my master. The translation, my goodness extendeth not to thee, is actually a poor translation. That would much better be translated because that doesn't really make much sense, does it? My goodness extendeth not to thee. Uh, Literally, it is, I have no goodness but thee. And that's a much better translation. Lord, I have no goodness but thee. If there's anything... Thing that is good in me, it's from the Lord. I have no goodness outside of Him. Paul tells us, What do you have but what you have received? And if you've received it, then why do you boast as though you didn't receive it? If there is any goodness in my life, it's because of God's work in my life. I can't go around and boast or brag about my work for God or my righteousness or anything else because my righteousness is that gift of God to me through my faith in Jesus Christ. I have no goodness but thee, Lord. And so uh, it is surely something that we all agree in that truth. Now, David speaks concerning those that would worship other gods. Their sorrows, verse 4, shall be multiplied 
that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names unto my lips. I will not utter the names of the other gods, nor will I take up their drink offerings of blood. Now, this is exactly what God had prohibited in the law when he said, Thou shalt not drink or eat blood. God was referring to the pagan sacrifices where they would sacrifice an animal to their gods and as they would take the blood of the animal, they would drink it as a libation unto their god. The drinking of blood. It was definitely prohibited in the law not to drink the blood of animals. But it is tragic that the ignorant leaders of the Jehovah Witnesses have translated that commandment to mean that you're not to have any blood transfusions. And as the result of this mistranslation due to the ignorance of the leaders, they are killing more people every year than Jim Jones killed down in Ghana. Hundreds, thousands of people are dying every year because they refuse to take a blood transfusion because the ignorant leaders of the Watchtower Society have declared to them that they are damning their souls if they take a blood transfusion because the Bible says that you're not to drink blood. But God is referring to the pagan practices that were extant in those days where they would sacrifice an animal to their God and take the blood of the animal and drink it. And David is saying, I will not drink their drink offerings of blood, referring to the very same practice. It's tragic that the blind are leading the blind into the ditch. My heart goes out to the people that are going around door to door because they have been deceived by those leaders into believing everything that comes out from Brooklyn is gospel truth that these men are the true spokesmen for God. Every church is trying to deceive them. They are the only ones who are really preaching the truth of God. All of the churches are really mixed up in the Babylonian system of religion, and thus all of the churches are to perish, and they only have the truth. And these poor people have been deceived. And they're going around door to door to spread that deception. But death is the fruit of that deception. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and of my cup. I'm not going to drink the cup of their drink offerings of blood to their gods. But the Lord is my inheritance and of my cup thou maintainest my position. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a 
goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My mind also will instruct me in the night seasons. Oftentimes I have found that God speaks to me in the night seasons. It used to be when I was younger that I could never remember when I laid down at night. Just slept straight through until the alarm in the morning. But as I'm getting older, somehow I just don't sleep through like I used to. Now noises in the night can wake me up. Used to be you could shake and rattle. In fact, I used to counsel young kids up at the summer camps. And I'd say to them, now kids, if you're smart, you'll just wait till I go to sleep. And you can carry the camp off and I'll never know it. But let me get to sleep. And so they wised up and they'd wait till I go to sleep and then they'd terrorize the camp. I'd never know it. I, I slept so soundly and nothing would disturb my sleep. But things have changed and now there are things that do disturb my sleep at night. And it used to be if something would disturb me, I could just roll right back over and go right back to sleep. But, you know, the phone rings at 3 in the morning and, and then I have difficulty going back to sleep after that. And I just lie there and I just sort of toss because I've been awakened out of a deep sleep and, and, and now I'm in the tossing things. And I used to get upset at tossing. But no more. I find this is just glorious time to commune with the Lord. He instructs me in the night seasons just to open my heart to God. And, and, and it's amazing the things that God pours into my heart in the night hours. And so I just now take it as an opportunity rather than cursing the sleeplessness of night. I just take it as a neat opportunity to be instructed of the Lord in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. And now we are actually getting into a prophecy. Peter quotes this on the day of Pentecost. When they have been challenged because of the phenomena that is taking place, the sound like a mighty rushing wind, the Galilean disciples speaking in many different dialects. And the accusation, these men are filled with new wine. They're drunk with new wine. And Peter said, no, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning, too early to be drunk. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes the prophet Joel. And then he giving them, having given them a scriptural basis for the phenomena that they were observing, he then began to preach to them. The message was of Jesus. There were seven points to the message. He began by the identification of the person he was going to talk about, Jesus of Nazareth. There are a lot of little Jewish boys named Jesus. It was a popular name because Joshua was one of the national heroes. After all, he was the one that led them into the promised land. Jehovah is salvation. And so there were many 
Jewish mothers that were hoping that their child would be the savior also of Israel. And so they named their little boys Joshua, which in Greek is Jesus. And so to identify him, Jesus of Nazareth, there is probably a Jesus of Jerusalem and of Bethany and of Bethel and, and of Samaria. So to identify him, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was proved to be of God by the miracles and wonders which he did in your midst, whom you, according to the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God, with your wicked hands have crucified and slain. But God has raised him from the dead, the center truth of the message of Peter. The central truth is the resurrection of Jesus. That's the central message of the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the hope and the basis of the hope for our whole Christian experience. If Christ be not raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. We're hopeless. So the central truth, the message of the New Testament, the resurrection. So Peter gets it in the center of the truth that he is proclaiming. Whom God hath raised from the dead, for it was not possible that he could be held by it. For David, he said, by the mouth of the Holy Spirit, spake of him, saying, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow the Holy One to seek corruption. In fact, he quoted, Therefore my heart shall be glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou allow the Holy One to seek corruption. Peter saw this as God's direct promise to his Son. And no doubt Jesus made reference to this, and that is why Peter made the association. That this was God's promise to Jesus, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, and neither will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now, concerning David, let me tell you, he was a prophet, and he spake not of himself, but of him who was to come. And we do testify that God did not leave his soul in hell, and neither did he allow his Holy One to see corruption. But this same Jesus hath God raised from the dead and has exalted him to the right hand of the throne on high and has given to him this which he has shed forth upon us, which you now see. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. For he said, I will pray the Father, he'll send you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So this, what you see, is the result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it is his promise to send the Holy Spirit upon us. But he went into hell with the promise of God that his soul would not be left in hell. So that when Jesus died, and this hell is the Hebrew sheol, which is also translated grave. Thou will not leave my soul in Sheol, the grave, or hell. Now, prior to the death of Jesus Christ, Sheol of the Hebrew, or Hades of the Greek, was an area in the center of the earth that was divided into two compartments. And Jesus tells us about it in the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, where he tells about a certain rich man who fared sumptuously every day and a poor man that was brought daily and laid at his gate full of sores and the dogs came and licked his sores. 
and how that the poor man died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, and also the rich man died and in Hades, hell, lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus there. The man he recognized, being comforted in Abraham's bosom, cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to me that he may take his finger, dip it in water, touch my tongue. I'm tormented in this heat. Abraham said, well, son, you remember in the li your lifetime you had the good things, Lazarus evil, now he's comforted while you were tormented. Besides that, between us there's a gulf that is fixed. It's impossible for those that are here to go over there or those that are there to come over here. Then I pray thee, if he cannot come over here, send him back, send him back to the earth that he might warn my brothers lest they come to this awesome place. Abraham said, they have the law and the prophets. If they will not believe them, neither will they believe should one come back again from the dead. So Jesus gives us the description of hell in the center of the earth. For one day they were asking Jesus for a sign, and he said, a wicked and an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So it's located for us by Jesus. Now, Peter is telling us that this was God's promise to his son. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you allow the Holy One to see corruption. Paul tells us in the fourth chapter of Ephesians that he who ascended is the same one who first of all descended into the lower parts of the earth. And when he ascended, he led the captives from their captivity. So when Jesus ascended from the grave, those that were there with Abraham being comforted, awaiting the promise of God, were delivered from the grave also. He set free those captives. You remember the prophecy of Isaiah in the 61st chapter, where it said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to mend up those that are broken, to set at liberty those that are bound, and to open the prison doors to those that are captive. He's talking about the prison doors of death, of Hades, to those that were captive. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, when we are told of all of these great saints of the Old Testament who by faith wrought all of these wonderful things, the chapter concludes, now these all died in faith, not having received the promise, that is of resurrection and eternal life, but seeing it afar off, they embraced it. They held on to it, and they claimed that they were just strangers and pilgrims here. They were looking for a city which hath foundation, whose maker and builder is God. And then in the end of the chapter, again, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, God having reserved some better thing for us, that they, without us, could not come into the perfect or completed state. 
until Jesus made the provision on the cross to put away sins, they could not come into the completed state in heaven. The Old Testament sacrifices serve to cover their sins, but it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could put away sin. All they could do was to testify of a better offering that was to come, the offering of Jesus Christ himself for our sins, by which he made the way into heaven for all men. So those in the Old Testament who were by faith believing the promise of God and trusting God through faith to fulfill his promise, they were in one side of hell being comforted by Abraham. And they were released from that captivity at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Peter, the epistle of Peter, we read where Jesus went down and preached to those souls that were in prison. And so for three days and three nights, Jesus was preaching the glorious good news to those who had been waiting with faithful Abraham for God's promises to be fulfilled. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse -verse Bible study in the book of Psalms on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Psalm 16 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse -verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you, and may your life be an instrument in God's hand this week. May God help you to share his love with those that are still sitting in darkness. And may you experience the anointing of God's Spirit upon your life in a new and a very special way as he empowers you to do his work. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.